Good morning, everybody. A very, very happy Easter to you. Shall we just uh, put our hands together and applaud the Lord Jesus Christ on his Resurrection Sunday? In the Christian world, Lent prepares Christians for this victorious Sunday, Easter Sunday. We had Jesus, we've been following the story of Jesus up into the Garden of Gethsemane where he's asking that if, this, if there's any other way for the world to be saved, but if not, Lord, let me drink this cup, let me take this suffering, but let your will be done. We have Jesus going to the cross. We've seen the suffering, the crown of thorns. We see the terrible crucifixion. And if you've ever seen the Passion movie, you know how horrendous it is. The Easter story follows on to Easter Sunday with their accounts of four facts. Four facts that are widely, widely agreed by Christians and non-Christians alike. There was a man called Jesus Christ. He was crucified on a cross. He was put in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. That tomb was empty three days later. Those are facts. And then there was the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. All facts. You may be sitting there saying, so what? What is it all about? What difference does that story thousands of years ago make to me and to the world? Today, I want to get to the heart, I believe, of the Easter story. Jesus began a revolution. Easter, the very first Easter, was the day the revolution began. Since that day, it's multiplied, it's increased million-fold all across the earth, and the revolution of love your neighbor, the revolution of love is continuing today, and it's changing and renewing the earth and people and circumstances every single day. It goes unnoticed because what gets noticed is the bad stuff that's happening. And there's a lot of bad stuff, but you know what? The light is greater than the darkness, and there is so much light and goodness happening in the world by millions of followers of this man, 2,000 years after his death, how many followers do you know of liars or lunatics 2,000 years after their death? There is millions of followers that are following his example to love your neighbor as yourself. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends, and he set the example. So today, I want you to sit back. I want you to relax. And I want you to enjoy this incredible story because it's a story of a couple who decided to follow the teaching of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. They decided to give their life to him, and it compelled them to do something. It compelled them to live a life of love. They were compelled by teaching in the book of James that says, faith without action is dead. And so they said, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, your revolutionary message of love, we're going to live that. And you know what happened? The kingdom of heaven came to earth in this story. Sit back, relax, and let's watch this story.
that it kind of happens biologically, but when you're adopted, your parents. We talk about adoption. We tell them they're adopted, and we kind of tell them, you know, being born into a family, you don't even decide that. It kind of happens biologically, but when you're adopted, your parents looked out at the whole world and picked you. You think that they don't really know the gravity of them being rescued or saved. Then you'll see them in an external setting, like one of them is in front of 300 people last Friday night, and he tells people that he probably wouldn't be alive if he hadn't been adopted by his family. Those are like the goosebump moments when you go, he's got it. Tonight is all about unexpected miracles, and I want you to meet, uh, meet Michael Dennehy and his son, George. How are you guys doing? Hi, Glenn. Good, how are you? I am so thrilled to have you here. Um, this is such a nightmare show for me because my wife and I are, I'm a guy who wanted one child. <laughs> I have four, and one of them is adopted, and we're now starting to talk about adopting again, and this show is just going to push her over the edge. There you um, go. Make sure she watches. I know, I know. You have nine children? Nine adopted children, 12 altogether. And we, we made... How do you do it? <laughs> we made three the old-fashioned way, so we call, them, <laughs> we call them our homemade and our store-bought cookies. That is so great. Yeah. Um, tell me how this started, because it started here, did it not? George is the first adopted child in our family. Tell me the beginning. My wife and I were coming back from a sermon at church. I recall it was on the book of James. And basically it was a throwdown on not just being a sitter in the pew. Don't just hear the message, but by golly, do something about Faith it. Faith without works. Is dead. Faith without works is dead. So my wife said something along the lines of, let's really do something that matters. And I thought she was thinking, let's work in a soup kitchen <laughs> on Saturdays or... Let's send a check Women, to United they're Way. Women, trouble. Yes. They always yes. think more than we do. So she caught me off guard, and she said, let's find a child somewhere in the world that no one else would be willing to take and bring them in and make them part of our family. And I said, ooh, wow. <laughs> I need to chew on that for a while. But um, God got inside my heart and my mind, and it took me a few days, but I softened up, and that was the beginning of the odyssey that we embarked on to first find George, and he was the first. George was in your Romanian. Romania, yes. Right. How old were you? Um, so I was one and a half when I was adopted. And when you were adopted, you were, I find this hard to believe, nine pounds? That's right, yeah. Um, in, in Romania, much like South Korea, uh, when a child is born disabled, they're, they're believed to be a curse in, instead of you know, a blessing or, or a miracle. Um, so everyone around my biological family and my biological parents, they hated me and they hated the fact that I was born because I was this curse and I brought this curse into this village that they lived in. May, so, I, just, may I just point out? Sorry. Are you, you might be Italian because Italians talk <laughs> with their hands. And I noticed you took your shoe off and you're talking with your feet. You're expressing I thought, yourself. I, I thought it would look weirder if I was just doing this with my shoe. <laughs> yes. So I thought maybe I could do <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, my, my, my parents, they, they thought about it and they struggled with it, but, but they decided that the best option for their son, for me, was to put me in an orphanage where, where hopefully I would have a better opportunity and a better chance at having you know, a life. Um, but unfortunately in this orphanage, because of me being a curse, a so-called curse, quote, quote, <laughs> they, 
um, the nurses didn't take care of me at all the way that I, I should have been. One nurse for how many kids? Probably 100 or 150. One nurse. Yeah, there was, I think there was a few hundred kids in the orphanage and two or three nurses, so whatever. It wasn't good. No. George got passed over because they'd have to hold him and give him a bottle rather than just hand the bottle out like they normally did, so I think he missed a few meals. When you, you went to the orphanage? Yes. When you walked into the orphanage, what were your thoughts? Glenn, I got to tell you, it was seriously one of those life-altering moments because I had realized how privileged I had been in America. There was a smell in the air of, of sort of death mixed with sorrow. Um, three or four kids in a crib. The cribs were rusty. The communists had just left the country recently. Um, everyone that was, was where, uh, what was it, Chuchesco? Yeah, was Chuchesco. From, right? He was really nasty. Very strange man. So they were sort of reeling from that, and uh, he had forced ladies to have extra babies to build some army. It's crazy history, but long story short was it was a bad, bad place, and um, you get hit with this idea. I'd like to take them all home, if I could. I'd love to have just raised a flag and said, follow me. I felt like if you brought them back to the U.S. and set them on a random street corner, they would have been much better off, no matter what happened from there. So I tell people about adoption, don't get too worried about providing the perfect environment for a child if you're rescuing them from some situation where it's that bad. They are, there can be no wrong once they get to the grand old USA. So you saw George. For the first time in person in the orphanage. We had seen pictures. And so did you know who, that's who you were going for? Mm -hmm. Did they pick him or did you pick him? Uh, we picked him. It was a small, grainy, black-and-white photograph on the back page of a newsletter from Bethany Christian Services where they had colored pictures of a lot of really cute kids. And my wife saw George's little tiny one-inch-by-one-inch one grainy photo and said, that one's going to be our son. She just knew. So, George... Mm -hmm. How, how do you get, no pun intended, how do you get your arms around um, where you came from and the miracle in your life? Yeah, you know, honestly, I really haven't started to actually think about it until recently when, I've, when I now, you know, am How old so, are you now? Uh, 21. 21. Um, and now, now when I have the chance to tell people about it and, and I realize how honestly how much of a miracle it really was um, that I was a baby on the verge of um, being dead and being unwanted and unloved and then um, just the complete turnaround of, of my mom and dad coming and, and saving me and rescuing me from that and then giving me um, you know, a life and a family and, and growing up just kind of always reminding me that no matter what I can, I can do what I want to do and I can be who I want to be um, despite my disability. So um, I'd have no idea as a dad where, where to start. I mean, I, I see George playing the piano. And how did you know what to, how far to push, what to, I mean, how, how do you, does he have that drive in it? Because you've now played guitar with the Goo Goo Dolls. Yes. Yeah. Not something that, you know, a lot of people get a chance to do. Um, but did, did he just have that drive in him? Did you have to 
um, encourage him and say, look, you can do whatever. I mean, tell me how that happened as, a, as parents that were not necessarily equipped. Our three bio kids were taking classical music lessons, um, and the teacher would come to our house and work with all three of them at once. And of all the things George could choose to do, he would toddle in, he was a little guy then, he would toddle in and sit on the chair and watch the music lessons. And he was so intently watching these music lessons that this nice, beautiful young music teacher noticed him and she said, hey, I think he's watching this and I think he knows what's going on. Let's get him on an instrument. And, you know, kind of like, did you kind of notice he didn't have arms? I mean, I, got, I hear about people, people say, oh, he's got nice long fingers, he can play the piano. Yeah. You've got very short toes. Yeah, yeah. So she went home herself. Her name was Jennifer Petrie. She tried to play the cello with her own toes to see if it was even possible, told us it certainly was possible, and started George on cello immediately. And George became the first person known in the world to play classical music and the cello with his feet. So he is now um, the guitar guy, which is uh, easier for him, I think, than the cello. Cello is a little bit tough because there's no frets. And mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely tougher. So I, I know you brought a guitar, and I want you to play um, uh, the guitar. Um, tell me where um, your life goes from here. You're married? Yes. Okay. I'm married and I have an eight-month-old. Eight That's your uh, wedding ring around? Uh-huh. Okay. I'm trying so hard not to be, hit, hit the microphone with it. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> being clean. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm married um, and have an eight-month-old uh, baby, and, and I'm a full-time motivational speaker and musician. And uh, I have uh, the opportunity and the honor, really, to go, go around to different churches and conferences and share my story and share um, hope which is what so many people need in this negative, negative world that we live in today. You know, so many people uh, look at their own lives and look at their own situations and just think there's no possible good outcome that can come out of this. And I, I remind them that there is, um, because cause there's a God who, who's in control. You know, there's a God who, who has a plan for you. And, and no matter how hard life is, you know, God, God's got your back. Would you like an opportunity to hear him sing and play the guitar? Yes. Or would you like me to preach some theology? <laughs> We're going to hear him play guitar soon. You can put a timer on Clara so I can speak for a short amount of time. But here you have a man lying as an orphan, destined for death, nine pounds of weight at the age of about 16, 18 months. Lying, abandoned, unwanted, rejected, no hope, destined for death. And here we have his adopted parents. We hear a message of the radical, risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ to do something with their faith. They heard a voice. My sheep hear my voice. They followed. Not every one of you will hear a voice to adopt a Romanian orphan. But if we listen, there will be a voice of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, who wants to give us
his purposes and his plans to bring his radical revolution of love. And his parents adopted him. And as you can see, adoption changed everything. It moved George from death to life, from abandoned to adopted, from hopeless to hopeful, to unloved to loved, from rejected to accepted, from unwanted to chosen. That is the power of adoption. And Jesus, by going to the cross, made it possible that each one of us could be adopted into his family, that he would become our father, that we too could make that same journey, that we too could have a brand new, fresh new identity. Identity answers the question, who am I? You ask George at 60 months if he could speak lying in a Romanian orphanage with no hope, with no arms, what is your destiny? Who are you? He is an orphan who is abandoned, hopeless, unloved, rejected, and unwanted. That was, his, that was his identity. That was his future. Adoption brought a brand new identity to him and moved him to being one who is now chosen, wanted, loved, and accepted. He had a brand new identity. And your new identity is so powerful because even psychologists tell us when you are faced with a decision, with a choice about what will you do or about a decision that you're going to make about a change in your life, the first question you will ask subconsciously, who am I? What is the situation? And how would a person like me respond to that situation? So if your identity is, I'm lazy, and the decision comes up, I will go to the, the gym tomorrow. If you've accepted that identity, what would a person like me do in that situation? I will have a long lie and just go to work as normal. Because our identity is so, so powerful. And the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ died so that each one of us could be adopted and receive a brand new identity. Why did this couple adopt? For me... This is a beautiful example of the Easter story where we have this couple that have responded to this call to love, a sacrificial love, to put their faith into practice, to bring light into the darkness, to bring love where there is no love, to bring acceptance. You know, Jesus was asked by his followers, teach us to pray, and he taught them the Lord's Prayer that many of you repeated, some of you at school, Lord, a lot of you have heard, and Jesus taught them to pray this one line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you a question, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> many of us have prayed that and we have not got a clue. What does it mean? Does that mean Jesus Christ is going to come back from heaven to earth and start doing good, amazing things again? No, it means you're going to do them. That prayer was answered by George's parents. When they responded with this radical message of love, what was happening was heaven is where God resides. It's his, where his presence is fully. His kingdom coming to earth is a release of that presence. His kingdom coming to earth is where his will is done. What is God's will? We know that as God's will is to do justice, to have mercy or kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's God's will. 
And when someone chooses to follow Jesus, to follow this radical rabbi, revolutionary teacher, to follow in the way of love, they choose to do justice. They choose to love mercy and love kindness. And millions of people are doing this day in and day out. And there is so much good happening because this radical revolution in Jesus Christ started this radical revolution of love where people all across the world, millions, day in and day out, the, the humble, the meek, the peacekeepers, the servants of God are doing God, uh, are doing God's work. They are serving. They are loving. That is the kingdom of earth coming to kingdom of heaven coming to earth, his will being done on earth. It's renewing the earth, bringing lights into the darkness. Because God created you to be light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he said, you are the light of the world. But don't hide it away. Don't put it under a table. Bring it out and let it shine for the whole world to see because that was God's purpose for you. God created you with an incredible purpose, a purpose to shine, a purpose to bring light into the darkness. Yes, until Jesus Christ returns, there will be suffering, there will be darkness, there will be hardship, there will be persecution, there will be evil, there will be darkness. But Jesus said, I have overcome. I have overcome the darkness. Let your light shine. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Let your light shine. That was God's, God's intended purpose and plan for us was to shine, to bring his, it's called image bearing. It means to release his qualities of justice and mercy and kindness and love to reflect that image and to release it on the world. So when you are being kind, when you do something loving, when you respond to the call of God and you go all the way to Romania and say, I'm not going to just take the easy kids. I mean, what made them do that? Not just once, but nine times over. I mean, they're thinking to themselves, this is not going to be easy. This is going to cost me financially. Maybe my quality of life is not going to be quite as great. Maybe I'm not going to get as many exotic holidays. Maybe my night's sleep is not going to be quite as smooth. Maybe life is going to be turbulent. Maybe my house some days is going to be like, as he describes it, like a circus. But it doesn't matter. Love sacrifices. And that was the, the incredible revolutionary love, a sacrificial love that is transforming, renewing the world day by day. Every time that you say a word of kindness or love or you choose to forgive someone or not hold a grudge or you choose to bring light into the darkness, you choose to bring the kingdom, you choose to bring light, you choose in your workplace to change the atmosphere, not to be a complainer and to be negative, but you choose to, to be a thermostat who's going to change the temperature, not measure the temperature. But he's got an incredible purpose. These words, John 15. Here's another man, a Korean pastor, who started the drop box, the original drop box, the real one, not the one that you drop all your files in. You drop babies in this drop box. There were so much problems in Korea with babies getting abandoned on garbage dumps and just thrown and dying that he says, you know what, I have this drop box. If you can't look after your baby, put it in the drop box. An alarm goes off and he will come and love and nurture and take care of these babies. And then there's a documentary called The Drop Box. What is he doing? The kingdom of heaven is coming to earth following the radical revolutionary love of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. John 15, 8 to 13 says, 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This is the revolutionary radical way that Jesus started the new covenant, if you like, if you want the technical term, is, is the way of love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. See, God's purpose is for you to have joy and that your joy would be full. It's different from pleasure. You can have a moment of pleasure in the nightclub, steam, and thought that was a great night. You wake up with the same problems, the same anxieties, the same financial debt, could end up with certain things that you don't want and you shouldn't have in your body. And that's not joy, that's pleasure that fades and disappears. But Jesus said, you follow my way, my commandments, because I love you and because I know what's good for you, then you will know joy and your joy will be full. Because Jesus taught us as we give our life away, then we receive it. As we sow, then we shall reap. This is my commandment, love one another. How are we to do it? As I have loved you. How did he love us? On the cross. He gave it all. Greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus Christ, Easter celebrates the new creation. And Jesus Christ made it possible for you to be a part of his new creation. To join Jesus no longer in a tomb. He's seated at the right hand of God. He now reigns as king, and he welcomes you to come and to be part of the new creation, to come and to be a new creation yourself. A new creation is one who has, who has received forgiveness at the cross for the darkness that resides within us. You know what I'm talking about, the darkness. The Bible calls it sin. It's when you want to do one thing, but there's something that pulls you in the opposite direction. When you're battling between doing good and doing wrong, and Jesus came that we might have victory over the darkness because the darkness suppresses our light. We're called to be a light bearer, but when we're doing things of darkness, such as messaging people secretly and then deleting them so your partner doesn't know and forming unhealthy emotional ties and relationships, we all know that that exists and we know that the darkness destroys our light. Jesus Christ has come to give us victory over the light, to follow his way, to be part of his revolution, the love revolution. We're closing these verses and we're going to watch George. It is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. His love that he went to the cross and laid down his life. And he wants to fill us with his love so that we can become new creations, so that we can live a life of love and we can transform situations and people with that love. George Dennehy is a beautiful example of that. It's a beautiful example of one who has been transformed by love. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, that means everyone is joined together with Jesus spiritually by putting their faith in him. It ends there. He has become an entirely new person. That's the Easter story, that we can become new people, new creations. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new.
Who would like to see George sing with a guitar? Yeah. Did you go back to Let's Romania and meet your, your birth parents? Yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, I did. Um, right after I graduated high school and then in the midst of the Goo Goo Dolls happening and then just kind of my music career taking off, um, I got a request in Romania from a TV show over there um, to come to the country for a week and a half and be on this show promoting adoption uh, because right now Romania is closed off. So they invited me to come and um, just tell my story and just tell Romania that adoption is good. You know, adoption is a good thing. Has it changed over there at all? The, the I think I think the overall the overall mindset um, among the people has changed. It's, it's now that now it's all up to the government, uh, the government changing the government's mind uh, because because you know you know as it's. Um, with adoption, not every adoption is, is for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they've had one too many um, bad adoption cases, which is why they closed it off. But, um, you know, this TV show, and, and me included, I, I want to adopt from Romania. Me and, me and my wife both really want to adopt from there. I think it would be really cool. Um, so hopefully one day. But uh, part of that was coming back and reuniting with my biological family, going to the village where I was born and seeing my house and seeing my family. Um, which was one of the most crazy experiences ever. It just, because all my life I um, knew I was adopted. My parents make, keep it really open for all of us, knowing that we're adopted and that we are chosen. Um, but I always had a curiosity of like, where, where do I come from? And what are my parents like? And how, am I, how like? am I musical, you know? What was that like? It was, I wish I could put it into words because I feel like every emotion that we can feel as human beings, I felt at once when I, when I first laid eyes on them. And they first laid eyes on me. You know, was, I was so happy and I was so sad and I was nervous. <laughs> and I had a lot of questions and a lot of questions that were answered and just like simple stuff like, you know, do, how, what are my sisters like? And um, I didn't know I was an uncle, um, for, you know, through one of my sisters and how am I musical? But um, just that one moment is just really just indescribable, um, but amazing and just emotional. Were you nervous? My wife Sharon went with George to Romania, so one thing they did that was a mistake was they surprised George's mother on live TV. They walked in on a, oh, a, on a little garden courtway where she was working, and she looked up, and she instantly knew it was him, and the emotion of it all hit her at once, and she fainted. So they, they oh, had to call God. EMTs and revive for, for her. For two hours. For two hours, yeah, it was bad. So if we could rewind the tape, that would be the part to change, but... Past that, it got really good. They got to spend time together. George yeah. got to meet his sisters, go on TV and tell his story, play music, mm-hmm. share a positive message with an entire nation where you're born that rejected you. Again, wow. who could make this up? Uh, okay, so um, first I want, I want you to hear George uh, uh, do a tune on the guitar. Go ahead, my man.
You're not a pendant. You're not alone. There is a family that wants to make you their own. You're gonna find out on this broken road. There is a pathway that's gonna lead you home. Lead you home. You were left in a wasteland with a voice yet to be heard. A ten years later. You're still fighting for a chance just to be loved. You're not abandoned. You're not alone. There is a family that wants to make you their own. You're gonna find out. On this broken road, there is a pathway that's gonna lead you home. You're not abandoned. You're not alone. There is a savior. He wants to make you his own. You're gonna find out. On this broken road, there is a pathway that's gonna lead you home, lead you home, lead you home. You're not abandoned. Yeah, you're not abandoned. Quite an appropriate song for you. Yeah, yeah. It's, I wrote that a couple months ago. Beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. You went from George to how many other? Nine others. Are they all differently abled? In their own way. We have a daughter from Thailand who has no limbs at all, no arms or legs. Um, George has a brother from India, James, who has no arms. They've been brothers almost their whole lives. And uh, we have three biological sisters from Ethiopia that were uh, sort of in poverty situations. Uh, we have a girl from China who has a, a challenge with one of her limbs or one of her arms. And what renews you and your wife? Pardon? What renews you and your wife? Just, just the idea that each day is a challenge, but also a miracle. Like we never feel normal. We never feel like life's a complete drag. Like not, there's never going to be a surprise, or you're not going to know what happens. We get up each day, and it is sometimes it's like a Barnum and Bailey circus gone, gone mad. But there, but there's other days where you just go, God's got this. This could not have happened. Like today. Being here right now, I just, I think all the time, God's got this, 
And at the end, we're going to look back and say, of course, the story was already written. So they, it's good for them to be with each other, too. You asked about the other kids because they reinforced each other. And you never felt like you were the odd one out in our household when you were a child because we have such a collection of all shapes, sizes, colors. It's all mixed together, and it's kind of cool. I think we have to leave it at God's got this. Thank you, guys. Okay, thank you. Have the uh, band back up. God's got this. For those of you that have been through adoption, you know it's not easy. You know the results are not always as we would expect or would want, whether it's fostering and it's hard and it's difficult. But you know what? God is faithful and He only expects us to sow and leave the results to Him to, to sow love. We have Easter Sunday. We have that beautiful example of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. We have Georgie's parents, Michael, adopted parents, nine children, one with no arms and no limbs. You can see them sitting on the chair. Jesus' teaching is still being followed.